Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the V-Auto Podcast. I'm Lance Helgeson with V-Auto, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Now, our topic today focuses on an aspect of used vehicle acquisition we haven't talked about too much in prior podcast episodes, how best to handle vehicles you take in from customers, whether it's trade-ins, off-street, or vehicles you might have purchased and found from consumers on Facebook or another channel that might not fit your bill as a retail unit. And for today's conversation, we've got two guests who could be described as representing the front and back side of the topic. Micah Tindor, a director with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. He helps dealers find and purchase vehicles directly from consumers. And Matt Talbert, Senior Business Operations Director for Cox Automotive, who has a deep understanding of how top performing dealers sell vehicles in the wholesale market to gain optimal returns. Matt and Micah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lance. It's great to be here. Appreciate you having me again, Lance. Excited to talk about this topic considering everything going on in the market. Well, thank you uh, both. And Micah, thank you for the segue. Because I want to start uh, start with you to perhaps share a little bit about uh, why customer acquisition has become so critical for dealers, and similarly, maybe what factors are 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 affecting whether a dealer may have cars coming in that don't necessarily meet their retail parameters. I think that there's really three things that have driven a focus to purchasing in lanes that are not necessarily the auction. And a dealer needs to have a holistic acquisition strategy. You need to be able to purchase out of auctions, you need to be able to purchase from consumers, you need to be able to purchase off the street. But the three things that are really driving it is that retail supply is down year over year. We ended July at retail, used retail supply of 46 days, and that's eight days lower than it was in 2022. But that's at the same time that wholesale supply is also down year over year. We ended July at about 27 days wholesale supply. And that is down three days year over year. So as dealers are looking to get cars, their lot's a little less full. They need to turn somewhere to get it. And the wholesale channel is down a little bit. But also the third one's off lease is down. It, when we started 2022, leasing was about a 33% penetration rate. And it slid steadily since then to about 17% as of now. That means that today's lease cycle, three years off lease from the 2020 start, is at a point where we're starting to see less vehicles come in and will for the next couple of years. So that's really driving the transition. On top of that, customer acquisition costs in 2022 are at the highest that they've been for the past eight years, according to NADA. The average dealer spent $695 to acquire a new customer in 2022, and that was versus an average of $650 from 2017. To 19. So dealers are really needing to find channels to bring inventory in because it's low. There isn't quite as much available at auction. And it's really expensive to get it. And two things that I think are going to influence what happens to the rest of you that we need to keep an eye on. We know where inventory supply is supposed to go. We know that, that off-lease is supposed to stay low. Two things that could have a big impact on it, though. One is what happens with the UAW potential strikes that are coming up. A lot of this is newer, but the UAW has asked for some pretty um, big demands of the Detroit Three, looking for 40% wage increase, guaranteed employment, kind of like the old um, Jobs Bank, if you guys remember back to that, um, removal of the two-tiered system, 
part of it's hinting at a 30 hour work week. GM already said it's untenable. And yesterday in a live cast, um, Sean Fain, who's the president of the UAW, took the Stellantis counterproposal and filed it in the trash can because that's what it is, was his exact words that he used. So there is a risk of strike, and a lot of experts are starting to say there's high risk of strike, at least one of the Detroit three. The other thing that could impact what vehicle availability looks like through the end of the year is that S&P Global just put out a survey that said the average age of the vehicle on the road right now is 12 years, which means that as dealers are getting in trades and as they're looking for other sources besides just being auction dependent, it means that they're going to see more vehicles that are historically classified as wholesale. And it really means that dealers right now need to set a strategy to understand from appraisal to wholesale, a way to be able to monetize vehicles that are meant for wholesale so they can still win that customer, avoid those high customer acquisition costs, but have a monetization strategy for that vehicle at wholesale. One, one uh, follow-up question for you, Mike, and Matt, chime in if, if this makes sense for you. Um, but, you know, if I think back to like a year and a half ago or, or even two years ago, it did seem to me in conversations with dealers that they were getting any car they could when it came to acquisition and they were working at it. And, and I, and I guess I wonder because of some of the dynamics in the wholesale market, have we seen a return to a little more selectivity where if, if the car is 12 years old and it is a little bit rougher, they might not even consider it. I'll answer real quick on the acquisition side, and I'll let Matt speak to the wholesale side. On the acquisition side, we have seen dealers become a little more selective this year, and it's primarily driven by the high interest rates escalating the floor plan costs to hold that vehicle. So unless a dealer has a large stockpile of cash, and even if they do, it's going to pull more cash, vehicles are getting more expensive. It's more expensive to hold vehicles. So what used to be an edge vehicle that I would buy for retail, knowing that it might end up needing to be sold wholesale in 60 days, 90 days, whatever my floor plan cycle is, it's more expensive to hold that edge unit now. So we're seeing dealers start to pull back a little bit on some of those edge units that could be retail, could be wholesale. You kind of have to put it in the market to find out. We're seeing them pull back because they don't have a consistent strategy to ensure that they can win on the wholesale side. So that's what we're seeing on the on the acquisition side, a little bit of a pullback because of everything being so expensive on the lending side. Matt, what are you seeing on the wholesale side? Yeah, so a, a similar story on the wholesale side, but if we look back two years, uh, you could purchase any car you wanted to and make a profit in wholesale. Uh, over the course of 2020 to 2022, the Mannheim Vehicle Index went up 85 percentage points which is uh, unprecedented, and particularly when you think used vehicles should be depreciating in prices. And we've seen a, a bit of correction uh, to that this year with uh, the prices down just over 10%, 10 10.7% versus last year and the, the latest month. Uh, and what that means is it's a little bit harder to make a profit in wholesale. Where in the past we may have had a vacation uh, and you could miss a little bit on the condition of a vehicle uh, or, or put some extra money into the deal and still make a profit. Uh, now it's requiring a, a bit more of a disciplined process up front. Um, but we do see maybe a, an edgier vehicle coming into, into the wholesale market as, as vehicles get older um, on the market in general. Interesting. Um, and and I, so, so Matt, on the point that uh, Micah made about process um, and 
what would you recommend? What do you see best dealers doing as let, let's just take the point of the selectivity off and let's just pretend, you know, that we have, we have that car that, that is an edgier car. What uh, are the best practice process steps that dealers might use to truly assess the wholesale potential and the retail potential and make the right call? That's right. And so I think there's two places where uh, process discipline is really important. And the one that you're highlighting right there is that point of acquisition. Uh, and this is probably the most critical one. And point of acquisition is where you're going to where you're going to set. Do I make a profit on this vehicle or not? Um, there's some discipline processes to take place once you're disposing the vehicle. And that's going to determine how much of a profit can I make or how much of a loss do I take? Um, but at, at point of appraisal, um, what you want to do is get an accurate assessment of that particular vehicle, what the value is, and the more accurate an assessment that you can have of how you can exit that vehicle wholesale, uh, you know, the stronger of an offer you can put in front of the customer, the more confidence that you can have in, in making the deal work, and the more confidence you have that you'll get out of that car for profit. Um, once you have that wholesale base, and you can do that on every single vehicle, then you get to make the decision, should I retail this car? And obviously, you know, from from V Auto, we want to retail as many cars as we can. And if that car can fit on your lot and you can make profit on it, retail is the, the path that you want to go. But kind of start from the profit that you know you're going to make wholesale on this vehicle. Look at uh, all the standard metrics, market-based supply, uh, how well it fits with the inventory that's in, in your inventory, uh, what you're selling. Uh, look at your cost-to-market ratios, right? And if those are favorable, uh, send it out and, and get the money retail. If, if you have questions about that, then you can dispose of it wholesale, get it out the door as quick as possible and turn that back into cash to put in an inventory that will sell in a lot quickly. So I guess when it comes to assessing the wholesale value, what I, what I have, or the wholesale opportunity, I should say, um, I've understood that dealers, when they are looking at that retail or wholesale path, uh, that on the wholesale side, they might go to well, Mannheim and, and look at MMR and, and, but it seems like it's a little bit more of educated guesstimates versus something solid. It, I mean, can I today get a, a clearer picture? And if so, how? Yeah, that, that's a great point. Like, let's be real. Like the, the quality of an appraisal is going to vary tremendously on who's doing the appraisal. And there's a number, like there's many people out there that can do an awesome appraisal and that's great. But what, what it takes to scale a business is to have a reproducible process. And so that's really where, where ICO and Upside come together to make that scalable process for, for every dealership. Um, and so Kelly Blue Against the Cash Offers, one of the things that it does really, really well, uh, you know, decades in, millions of transactions, is putting the right value on every vehicle. You know, what, what is this value worth? And, and doing that with the most trusted brand uh, from a consumer perspective. And so customer is going to come in with a realistic expectation of, of what that car is worth. And that realistic expectation is going to be a, a value at which the dealer can make a profit. Um, and so with Upside, we've come on top of that. And we said, you know, not only do we, do we believe in the ICO value, but we believe in it enough to put a, a guaranteed profit lock on top of that ICO value. And so as a, a dealer acquires a vehicle at the ICO price, uh, they know they're going to make at least $300 of profit, maybe up to $1,000 of guaranteed profit at point of appraisal, um, not to mention anything they'd make on top of that once it sells in the in the wholesale marketplace. And so that that ICO value is actually your, your ticket. If you if you purchase the vehicle right, if you purchase it at that ICO value, uh, Cox Automotive stands behind that with a guaranteed profit. And you can make a profit on, on 
any unit you bring in at the ICO value. And, and Mike, uh, uh, Matt made a point about the proper assessment, and I guess my mind went straight up to the condition of the car mm -hmm. and, and, and variability there. Um, what are what are a couple of pointers that that uh, can help dealers make sure that they in fact have the right value because they correctly um, assessed per, in conjunction with the customer possibly you know, what the status of that vehicle actually is, condition. I'm glad you asked that question. This is one of the things I've been talking about with dealers for a couple of years now as we're focusing on how to correctly appraise a vehicle and bring it into inventory. It does start with process to make something repeatable, as Matt mentioned. So it's important that a dealer and a dealer group identify exactly how they want an appraisal to be done and help their team learn to do an appraisal that way across the board. So it's really three key points. How do you do a damage walk? What do you account for? What do you not account for? How you correctly document the amount of reconditioning that needs to be done on the vehicle within your appraisal? Because we have data to show out of the V Auto side that often people appraising vehicles are missing by seven, $750, hitting it too light, and it ends up costing seven, $750 more. So setting a process of what you're going to look at in the appraisal, setting the process of how you're going to correctly enter recon, and then setting the process of how you are going to assess the, the retail value of that vehicle in market or the, or the wholesale value if you're going wholesale path. But what's your cost to market going to be? What's your price to market going to be? And putting some rules and structure in place so that every person, every appraiser, every car, every time has the same look at the vehicle, the same assessment of the damage, and the same understanding of what the profit potential is going to be on that vehicle. Okay, and, and and speaking of profit potential, Matt, you mentioned that um, I, this the Cox Automotive, the ICO upside pairing, and a range, I think, of potential profit guaranteed, three hundred to a thousand. How does Cox Automotive make that happen, and could I make even more if I'm a dealer? That's a great point. Um, so one of the analogies I've heard recently is the analogy of an odds maker, right? Like at Cox Automotive, we see the, the lion's share of the wholesale transactions in the marketplace. And so that car that's showing up for appraisal, we may have seen 100 of those transact in the last 90 days. Uh, we see the way that the market's trending on, on similar vehicles. We have projections on where it's going. Um, and we know what the, the specific damage is, whether those are items on vehicle history or that's actual damage on the car. Uh, are worth. So we're putting all of those in to get to, you know, what's the, the average transaction price for this vehicle? And then what's the price that 80% of the time the dealer is going to net out with, with positive value, right? And that's, that's about where that ICO value is. You, you're you're going to make a profit most of the time in wholesale uh, if you take it in at that place. Um, but we say, given the confidence we have in these values, uh, we're going to lock that price in plus a profit on top of that. And so anytime the vehicle sells for, for less than that in the, the upside sale, uh, we'll come to the table with all, all of that money. And the only thing it takes for us to pay for, for those losses is 10% of the gains, which means if we put a guarantee of $10,000 on a car and it sells for $11,000, uh, the dealer not only walks away with that guaranteed $10,000 and the profit they already have in that, but $900 on top. Cox will take $100 to pay for some of those losses uh, and then the $900 stays with the dealer. So they, let's say they made um, probably somewhere close to $1,000 of profit lock uh, initially. The, the ICO was somewhere around $9,000. Uh, they're taking home $1,000 and then they take home another $900. So $1,900 profit on that particular vehicle. 
Cox puts a thousand dollars in the bank account. So the next time we take a loss on one of their cars, you know, we can pay for that. Um, and that's really how it works. So the, the goal is um, that a dealer has a very confident price to bring a, bring a vehicle in on and on every wholesale, you can make a profit. Um, and I guess, so there is a little bit of the gambler in there. I mean, if I'm, if I'm the dealer, I'm, I'm, I'm trust, I guess, what is Cox Automotive doing that might suggest we're actually going to get you, Mr. Dealer, Mrs. Dealer, um, more than that $300 guarantee? That's right. And so this is where the second piece, we talked about two places where you need a discipline approach. The, the first half is on point of appraisal. The second yep. half is on, on point of disposal. And so there's, there's three things in our playbook um, yep. that we think best in class wholesalers do as we've really dug into that. Um, the one piece is you need to make sure you have a critical mass of inventory. And that critical mass of inventory, you know, right now the upside direct sale is about 600 cars in every sale. Uh, that's a that's a pretty good number. As that number grows, uh, you get a you get more and more buyers who are looking, and it's easier to match a, a buyer and a seller. Uh, second piece is making it right for the for the buyer, having a really buyer centric focus, which means we have best in class CRs with Manum Express inspection. Uh, but also, if anything's right on the back end, you know we're going to make the the buyer whole. Um, and the good news for the the seller is that we actually do that as Cox Automotive, so the seller doesn't see that car again. Um, but it, it lands on Cox Automotive's books. We're going to get the, the buyer out of the vehicle. Um, and then the third piece is what we call an absolute sale. It means every car sells on the first run. And there's two reasons we do this. From the buyer perspective, right, I don't want to waste my time on a car that's 10%. I'm 10% likely to get, get the high bid. In fact, if I'm 100% likely to get that car when I get the high bid on the vehicle, I'm willing to go a little bit further on price and I'm going to come back and I'm going to shop again and again and again because I'm not wasting my time as a buyer. Um, from a seller perspective, particularly in a depreciating market, selling that car the first time will make more money um, than selling 50% of cars this week and 50% of cars sometime in the next six weeks. Uh, we see that again and again, but that first money is the best money. And so we, we benefits the seller as well. And I, I I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, Matt. Um, I went to journalism school. Of course, they tell you, you know, follow the money. So if I'm a dealer and I am, am following these things that you just talked about, uh, do, do we have enough experience in history with Upside to, to quantify what an, a typical dealer, and I, I, I see it's a numbers game, so the more cars I send, you know, the better off my chances. You know, it's a balancing act here. But on average, uh, what kind of profit per car are we seeing uh, that goes back to the dealer uh, through this this upside venue? Yeah. So if, if we break the profit into two different components, right? You have ICO as your base, and then you know how much profit lock do we put on the average car? Right now, that number varies somewhere between five hundred and seven hundred dollars. So like you have a guaranteed profit lock of $507, $700 at point of appraisal. On top of that, it's once that vehicle sells in the marketplace, how does it perform? And that number, depending on the week, varies between say $800 and $1,200, something like that. But you add those two up and you get somewhere in the ballpark of $1,500 um, on top of that ICO that you'd expect to take home, you know, running cars through, through upside. Interesting, okay. Okay, so I can see if I, if I have a history with this, and I'm looking at a car through my retail lens and it's telling me 
maybe it's 1200 or something like that, then that might be where my gambler hat comes in. If I don't really need that car, maybe that's where I go. That's right. That's right. If, if you would rather have cash out of that car right now, so you can invest into something that you know is going to sell on your lot, um, then pull the trigger, wholesale that thing, get into a car you know is going to sell. And what you're going to do is you're going to avoid having that car be an aged car, aged inventory vehicle 60 days later that's worth 5% less, and we're going to sell for a big loss. Okay. Well, all of this strikes me as a reason for a dealer to maybe take in all comers, all cars, kind of, uh, when it comes to acquiring cars and be less selective. Um, but I am kind of curious, uh, and I'm not sure who, which of you guys might have the answer here, but if, if I do that, uh, and, and I'm now wondering, am I going to sell cars too? Uh, are there, are, do we have any statistics on, you know, if I, if I'm willing to bring in, take all these cars in, how many extra deals am I going to be able to make because I did that? Not, not, you know, aside from the wholesale profit I might make, but what, what kind of, ask uh, carryover to my my retail business might might come out of this Lance Kelly Blue Wilkins cash offer did a survey um, during the COVID era uh, to understand what is the average attach rate of a trade-in leading to the purchase of a new vehicle or a retail used vehicle and what dealers told us was 55% of the time somebody comes in with a trade-in they're gonna end up purchasing another vehicle so you can take that and run that against the extra amount of cars you're going to be acquiring by turning nobody away and pretty quickly get to a mathematical equation of what that extra volume should look like. But the other thing is, as you can get more aggressive on the wholesale side, it does give you an interesting acquisition opportunity that historically is a little harder. And what I mean by that, if I unpack it a little bit, is that if a customer comes in with a $700 car, a car that's destined for wholesale and you don't want Historically, you're probably going to lowball it because you don't know where that's going to sell at auction. Or even if it's a $3,000 car, you're probably again going to lowball them because you don't know if you're going to make $1,000, $2,000, or $4,000 when that goes wholesale. In this, But that customer with a very low-value vehicle needs the equity of that vehicle more than anybody to parlay that into their new or used purchase, particularly with the high interest rates we have right now. So if you can develop a strategy to be able to buy all vehicles – it gives you an advantage in that wholesale space, the destined for wholesale space to give consumers good money on that vehicle and have a better opportunity of buying it because you're the dealer that's bringing the equity of their, their vehicle to play with a strong offer. That's right. Okay. Michael, we, we've seen that uh, take place as an ICO dealer adds upside. Uh, the average lift that they see and the, the share of offers that they're able to take in from ICO is 25 to 30%. So for every three cars that you're bringing in or four cars that you're bringing in from ICO in the past, you can purchase an additional car, um, which is, which is just awesome to see, but it, it really comes down to that confidence that you have at point of appraisal or maybe even point uh, before point of appraisal, you know, your BDC is making calls on cars. And now those cars that you weren't sure if you wanted on the lot, you know, bring them in and each one of them is going to print 300, 500, $1,500 of profit uh, without any risk. So I have two more questions, uh, gentlemen, uh, and Matt, I'm kind of curious, it's sort of a pressure test question, um, but I've sort of understood that the, you mentioned first run sales efficiency, you know, like selling the car the first time it runs, but I've kind of understood that that's 
that we're not seeing it broadly speaking in the wholesale market cars aren't selling you know the first time they run a is is that true and b how how and why is upside able to kind of beat what's happening kind of industry-wide yeah great question so if if i looked at march of this year that would basically be true. I think in-lane efficiency was somewhere close to 80%. So you know, four out of every five car you bring in the lane, you're selling the, the first week. Uh, now that number, well, a, a few months ago, that number was as low as 40%, 45%, and we're back in, like, call it 50s, something like that. So so every other car is, is selling. Um, what that means is one of two things. So the car, car that sells great, and, and we see you know great MMR retention on those particular vehicles. Um, but the cars that are left that end up selling in lane uh, sell on average, I think it's 3.6 retention points lower than the car that sold the first week. So it's a it's a rougher quality of vehicle. It's not going to bring the same dollar amount. Uh, but also right now with depreciation, we've had uh, several weeks where average vehicle lost over a percent um, in, in value. And so even if you got 100% a week later, that's actually 99% of, of what it would be the week before. Um, and so as, as you sell 100%, yes, you're going to take losses on individual vehicles, but on the portfolio, you average out at a higher level. Um, and so there's, you know, in, in typical auction logic, the higher the conversion rate, the lower the retention. Um, what we find is if you develop a seller, um, a, a positive seller brand, um, that trend actually breaks. And the 100% sale efficiency uh, and, and you'll see it in with a uh, with a really good wholesaler, right? They'll they'll sell a couple of cars in the first run uh, at a loss to to chum the water to to build interest and an interested buyer engagement. And then what happens is the successive cars sell for 100, 105, 110 percent of MMR because buyers are interested. They know these cars are getting sold. They start paying attention. You get more bidders per car. Um, and once you get four to five bidders on a car, that car is going to bring all the money. Um, and so the the real the real trick is how do I get four to five bidders interested and engaged on this car. And absolute sale is one of the best ways to do that over time. It, it sounds like if I'm a say more traditional wholesale seller, that also means I have to be mindful where I put my floor. Yes. Yeah. If, if your floor is too high, particular on that, those first, first couple of vehicles and you don't sell them, you're going to lose buyers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last question, gentlemen. So we've talked a lot about, about why dealers, you know, have an opportunity uh, in the wholesale market, which therefore allows them to be a little more um, confident about bringing in cars, any car from, from customers. I'm, I'm curious about what we might know uh, in terms of loyalty and, and whether uh, we talked a little bit about how I might sell another car, but what about those customers that maybe I didn't sell another car to but they felt like I did right with the car I took in. Do we know what happens later? What's the upside for a dealer, pardon the pun, uh, in those scenarios? Uh, loyalty is really a huge talking point right now. Um, brand loyalty is down. Everybody knows it. And dealers are really seeking how they can move from what was historically a focus on brand loyalty down to dealership loyalty. And one of the best ways to develop dealership loyalty is to treat each customer you have already as well as you can. And a fantastic way to do that is the ability to put a strong offer on every vehicle. 
I have a tangential example of that from my family. My father-in-law went to buy a car, Lance. He had bought the same vehicle from the same dealer and the same salesperson three straight years. He took what would be classified as a direct to wholesale unit in. They hit him $500 lower than a cost he got somewhere else, a, a cash offer he got somewhere else. And he walked. He bought an, his new vehicle at a different dealer for the first time in 18 years. So one of the huge opportunities from a loyalty perspective is you can put top dollar on every car, even those destined to wholesale, and give that loyal customer who's been there with you a while as much money as possible on that wholesale unit. Um, the other thing that it does is for a net new customer, it allows you to put maximum dollar on it to basically win the customer, not the car. I like to talk a lot about acquiring the customer. If a customer comes in the door at $695, the most expensive customer acquisition cost in history, if a customer walks in the door with a wholesale unit, do you really want to turn them away because it's a wholesale unit you don't want? Buy the car, upside it, get your guarantee, but you get to win the customer. You get to put them in your CRM, you get to target them, and then all those things that you do so well as a dealership to build dealership loyalty, all the programs you run, all the campaigns you run, all the giveaways you had, turn that initial customer into a loyal customer. So it's two parts. It's building on your existing loyalty by giving max dollar on vehicles you don't want, not having to lowball them because it's wholesale, and winning customers as opposed to the vehicle when it's a wholesale vehicle that you don't want. I like that. Let's let's end the podcast on that that winning note. Uh, Micah and Matt, thank you both for taking part in today's conversation. Thanks, Lance. Thank Great you. to be with you. Appreciate the opportunity. You bet. And for all of you listening in and watching, thank you for joining this episode of the Be Out of Podcast.